right, so here we are in the book of Acts. Last week, we looked at chapter 10, the first half of chapter 10, from Peter's perspective. Uh, Peter was a Hebrew, Jew, believer. And God was pushing him out of that nest, and he sent him to Greek, Jewish believers, and the final step was he, he gave him the big boot when he said, I want you to go to a Roman Gentile unbeliever. Peter had a bit of a problem with that. No way, Lord. How do you say that in the same sentence, right? No way, Lord. But God said, listen, he gave him a sign and, and the sheet came down. He says, Anything that I declare clean is clean. He says, it's okay. I want you to go. And so we saw last, last week as the men came and asked Peter to come and, and, and share with them the gospel. This week I want to look at Cornelius. I want to look on the receiving end of this. Because it's not, it's not just a random thing that happened. In Acts 1.8, God said, I want you to go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. They've already done that. They took the gospel first there in Jerusalem, and then it spread to the outside of, into Judea. They went, Philip went up to Samaria. The Holy Spirit came on them in Samaria. And now God is saying it's time to move out into the uttermost parts of the world. And what a better way to do that than to, than to take it to a Roman. Because the Romans at this point in history, they were the ones who had conquered everybody. All roads lead to Rome. <clears throat> if you want the gospel to get out, you take it to a Roman, the Roman will take it to Rome, and then it'll spread out from there. So God is, is preparing Peter to do that, and he does it through a gentleman by the name of Cornelius. So <clears throat> let's look at Acts 10, 1 through 4, and we're not going to read all of Acts 10 because we did last week, but I want to concentrate on a couple things. Acts 10, 1 through 4. Now there was a man at Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian cohort, a devout man, one who feared God with all his household and gave many alms to the Jewish people and prayed to God continually. And it was about three o'clock in the afternoon. He, he clearly saw a vision of an angel of God who, was just, who had just come in and said to him, Cornelius, and fixing his gaze on him, and being much alarmed, he said, What is it, Lord? And he said, Your prayers and alms have ascended as a memorial before God. So first let's look at this place called Caesarea. Now, we had, uh, last week we saw Peter in Joppa. Joppa was a natural seaport that Israel used for many years. We remember back in the book of Jonah, where did Jonah flee to? 
he went to Joppa. And he got on a ship that was going all the way across the Mediterranean to Spain. It was a major seaport. But Herod the Great, who was the, who was the king over Israel at that time, decided, hey, I want my own seaport. And being a, a man of, of great means, they built a wall out into the Mediterranean Sea to create their own harbor. And you can go to this day, you can go to Caesarea and you can dive and you will see places where, they, where the mortar that they, that they were able to uh, put between the stones underwater is still there. It was a feat that was not known of, of its day, but Rome did it. And they named it, Caesarea is named after Caesar, the emperor. So Caesarea, it was the uh, home of the governor of all of Judea. Now, in that day and time, it was Pilate. Pontius Pilate was the governor. He lived in Caesarea because on the coast you have all these nice winds that come and keep you cool. And over in Jerusalem, it's hot and it's arid. And so that's really, that was his headquarters. And a matter of fact, we're going to see later on, Paul is going to be taken there to have an audience with with the king. And he sits there for two years in prison. But Caesarea is this home, this Roman enclave, which was protected by the Roman army. And along comes a man by the name of Cornelius. Now it says he's a centurion and he is part of the Italian cohort. Now this is a special group of soldiers. The Italian cohort were Roman soldiers who came from the city of Rome. You could have Roman soldiers who who came from any place they conquered. You could become a Roman soldier. But the Italian cohort were from Rome. Kind of like our SEAL Team 6. They were the best of the best. And this centurion, whose name is Cornelius. Now, what is a centurion? He is, he is over, that would make sense that he's over how many men? A hundred. There's 600 men in a regiment. There's six centurions, one over each hundred men. Now, in today, we had anybody here that was in the, in the United States Army? We got one, okay. First sergeant. The first sergeants run everything. They're the ones that are over between 100 and 125 men or, or people in, in their purview. And people will tell you that if you want to get something done, you go to the first sergeant. Because the first sergeant has is, is probably been around longer than anybody else because it takes a while to get to that rank. And they're the ones who were, had to take care of the men and make sure that they were safe. And so that's the centurion is the first sergeant. And not only is he a great military man, but he's also a great person. Because he as a Roman, he is supposed to worship who? Caesar. 
They believed in worshiping the emperor. But what, is, what does it say about Cornelius? It says in verse 2, he is a devout man who feared God, capital G, with all his household. He was devout. He, he got to Israel and he's like going, wow, these Jewish people have a lot on the ball. Now, as a Gentile, he was not allowed in the temple or he was not allowed in the synagogue because he's a Gentile. But he, he looked at the way these people lived and he heard what the scripture said and he's like going, this makes sense to me. Makes a whole lot more sense than some of their, if you've read Roman history, you know, some of their uh, emperors were a little off. So he says, I'm going to worship this Yahweh. And so he does. And, and it also says what? He's a giver. Did you notice it says that he, he gave many alms to the Jewish people. He was a giver. But here he is. He, you know, there's people who wait outside of the synagogue and, and said, hey, I, I'm crippled, I'm poor. We've seen them in many instances. One of those people were, were, was the person that uh, Peter and John healed at the temple. Very much like that in Caesarea, at the synagogue in Caesarea, there would have been people who needed help, Jewish people, and he gave alms. He gave many alms. And not only that, he gave them in a righteous way. It wasn't like, oh, well, this is my social duty. Because in the very next part of the verse, it says, your prayers and your alms have risen up to heaven. He was, he was a praying man. And he was praying at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. That's the hour of prayer for the Jewish people. He's like, okay, well, if that's when they pray, that's when I'm going to pray. And God says, hey, Cornelius, don't you love that? Has God ever called your name? He did when you got saved. <laughs> he will when it's time to go home. He's going to say, hey, you, come on. It's time to come up. He's going to call our name, but he calls Cornelius, and he says, listen, the angel says, you have your prayers and alms have ascended as a memorial before God. One of the things I want you to see is most of all, Cornelius was a seeker. He wanted to know who God was. Who is this Yahweh? What are all these, uh, these things in the Old Testament about the Messiah? And we're going to find out later on as Peter speaks to him, he knew who Jesus was. Everybody, everybody in Israel knew who Jesus was because everybody had seen what had happened. And, and Cornelius was, I, I, God, you know, reveal yourself to me. And when people say that prayer, you know what God does? He reveals himself. Now I've always, I, I kind of scratch my head sometimes and say, why didn't he just send him to Philip? Because if we went back in the book of Acts, we would find that Philip, the evangelist, 
it says that he preached all the way up to Caesarea. And if we look later in the book of Acts, we find Philip in Caesarea. Why didn't he just say, hey, go see Philip? Who knows? Maybe Philip was out preaching someplace else. He liked to do that. He, he was an itinerant preacher. But for, for whatever reason, God picked Peter. And I think part of it was to move Peter. Peter was the one that they called to come up to Samaria and talk to the Samaritans to, to oversee the baptism of the Holy Spirit in Samaria. And God says, hey, I'm making a big move. I want Peter there. I want Peter to be the eyewitness to the Holy Spirit coming to the Gentiles because the people will believe Peter. And so God, Cornelius calls out. God answers. He sends his men down. He sends a soldier and two servants down to get Peter. They get to Peter's house at at noon and say, hey, the angel came and said, we're to bring you back. And uh, let's look at that part of the story now. And I'm actually gonna, going to go back one verse, verse 22. So he invited them in and gave them lodging. This is going to come to play as we look through the rest of the story. And on the next day he got up and he went with them and some of the brethren from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day, he entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and close friends. And when Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet and he worshiped him. But Peter raised him up saying, stand up. I too am just a man. So he talked with him and he entered and found many people assembled. And he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a man who is a Jew to associate with a foreigner or to visit him. And yet God has shown me that I should not call any man unholy or unclean. That is why I came without even raising any objection when I was sent for. So I asked for what reason you have sent for me. And Cornelius said four days ago at this hour, I was praying in my house during the ninth hour and behold, a man stood before me in shining garments. And he said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Therefore, send to Joppa and invite Simon, who is also called Peter, to come to you. He is staying at the house of Simon the Tanner by the sea. And so I sent for you immediately and you have been kind enough to come. Now then we are all here present before God to hear all you have been commanded by the Lord. As we look at this story, one of the things I see is Peter's a reluctant preacher in this case. Have you ever been there? God says, hey, I want you to go. I want you to go do this. And you're like going, really, God? 
You know, they have tattoos. They smell funny. They talk, a, they, they, they have an accent. Do you really want me to go? And here we go, just... Yeah, I'm going, Jesus. Yeah, Like the oldest man on earth, right? Tim Conway. That was what Peter was. What had God told him to do? In chapter 10, verse 20, it says, But get up, go downstairs, and accompany them without misgivings, for I have sent them myself. Get up and go. And yet, what is the first thing Peter does? What are you guys here for? Oh, we're here to take you back to Caesarea. Oh, well, hey, come on and let's spend the night. Now, I want you, I want you to look at this from, from God's perspective. Is God says, go. And Peter says, you can't make me. You ever do that to your parents? Oh, yes, you can. All you got to do is rattle the, rattle the drawer. That, that was at, at our house. Mom used the, the pancake spatula or the wooden spoon. And if the drawer rattled, you moved. But God's telling him to go, and he says, oh, don't worry about God, let's just spend the night. Now, I want you to understand what's happening here from the other end of the perspective. Because the centurion, Cornelius, he's thinking, listen, it's 10 hours from my house to Joppa. My guys left at 3 o'clock, a little after 3. They stayed somewhere halfway down. They would have gotten there by noon on the next day. If Peter comes with them and they come immediately back, then they're going to come halfway back and they should be here by noon the next day. So what does he do? Being the good centurion, he is inviting people He's inviting family and friends. Hey, this guy named Peter is coming to share with us the gospel, to tell us about the Messiah. He's coming. And so about noon the next day, he starts getting everybody at his house, and they're like going, oh, they're, everybody's watching down the road. Where, they're, where are they coming? They ought to be here any time. Is my, is my sundial working right? Three o'clock comes the hour of prayer. They pray. Six o'clock comes. It's dinner time. Where in the world are these guys? They should have been here. Where are they? Oh, they spent the night. And then the next day, they kind of took their time. I don't think Peter was very fast at anything. Because remember, John outran him, right? When they were going going to the tomb... It says that John outran Peter. You know, I, I think he's like me. He sauntered. I, I, don't, I don't walk any place fast. I sauntered. He sauntered. Because it took them a day and a half because they'd left the following day they left and he doesn't get there till 3 p.m. on the fourth day. Don't keep God waiting. When God tells you to move, move. Do what God tells you to do. In the Old Testament, there was a guy by the name of Gideon. You remember Gideon? He was 
God came to him. He's down in a wine press with hair, with throat trying to sift wheat, and he's got you know straw in his ear, and you know, and he says, "Oh, great and mighty, valiant warrior of God, <laughs> what?" And, and so he says, "Hey, you're gonna you're gonna lead the army against the Midianites who are camped out here." And he uh, he says, "Well, let's think on that a minute. I'm gonna throw a fleece out here." Throws the fleece out on the, and he says, well, if it's wet and the ground's dry, uh, we're good to go. Me and you, God. And he comes back the next day, the fleece is wet, the, dry's ground, the ground's dry, and he says, well, man, that might not have been, uh, you know, maybe something else happened. So let's, let's swap it out. Let's throw out another fleece. Let's spend another night here while we're waiting to see, well, if the ground's wet and the fleece is dry, we'll know. And it takes him, he's like, okay, God, I'm throwing out another excuse. And God says, no, you're the guy. Stand up and lead. Sometimes we keep God waiting because we're, we're trying to, oh, we want to make sure it's God's will. Well, if God comes and tells you to do something, do it. Just get going. But Peter's like him hawing around and they finally get there. And when he gets there, he's like going, I kept all these people waiting. He walks in and he sees all of these people that Cornelius has called together and they're anxiously waiting for him to speak the gospel. Well, Let's move on then to verses 34 through 48, and let's see what happens with Peter as he preaches. And opening his mouth, Peter said, I most certainly understand now what God did not, that God is not one to show partiality, but in every nation, the man who fears him and does what is right, is welcome to him. And the word which he sent to the sons of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know the thing which took place through all Judea, starting in Galilee, after the baptism which John proclaimed. You know of Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power and how he went about doing good healing, good and healing all those who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. But we are witnesses of all things he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They also put him to death by hanging him on a cross. They raised him God raised him up on the third day and granted that he become visible, not to all the people, but to witnesses who were chosen beforehand by God. That is to us who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. And he ordered us to preach to the people and solemnly to testify that this is the one who has been appointed by God as judge of the living and the dead." For him all the prophets bear witness that through his name everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sin. And while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who were listening to the message. 
And all the circumcised believers who came with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they were hearing them speaking with tongues and exalting God. And then Peter answered, Surely no one can refuse the water for those to be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we did. Can he? And he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And then they asked him to stay on a few days. Peter finally understood. He says, now I get it. Now I know what God was doing when he brought the sheets down and said, nothing is unclean any longer. Anything that I make clean is is clean. You need to go to the Gentiles. And and he, he gets it. But he still has to ask, but why did you call me? Well, Paul, Peter, I mean, Peter, you have the gospel message. You preached it on the day of Pentecost. You were there when Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit fell on Pentecost. You were there when the Holy Spirit fell for the Samaritans. And you're here right now. We want you to preach to us the gospel. And that's exactly what he did. He started with what they knew. Now that's, that's pretty important because we need to start where people are. You see, some people are like Cornelius. They are seekers. They knew about what? They knew about Jesus and the miracles he performed. They knew about Jesus and the fact that he was crucified. The one thing they didn't know is they had yet to meet the, the messengers that were witnesses of the resurrection. So he started where they know. And when we come to people, we need to start exactly where they are. Because some people are indeed seekers. And those are the ones you love. Right, John? The ones that come in and they say, I want to know more about Jesus. I've read the Bible. I know what it says. Tell me more. When Philip was on his way with the Ethiopian eunuch coming along, God sent him there. And and he was reading in Isaiah, and it says, in Isaiah, he he came up to him, he says, do you understand what you're reading? And he says, no, I don't have a man to explain it. And he says, let me take you right from where you're at and take you to Jesus. Jesus did the same thing. When the two men from Emmaus were walking down the road, and Jesus comes along, and he says, what are you guys talking about? Are you the only one that doesn't know about the fact that Jesus died? And now it's, it's rumored that he's resurrected. And this is what it says that Jesus did in Luke 24, 27. Then beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. God took the word of God and took these Jewish men and said, listen, I'm going to show you Jesus. And when we come to people, we may come to somebody who's never who has no idea. They've never read the Bible. And we say to them, do you want to go to heaven? What would you do if you got to heaven today and God asked you, why should I let you in? Most people say, I'm a good person. I did good things. 
And God says, no, that doesn't work. Because we have a sin problem, right? The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. For all have sinned, we have a sin problem. We take them where they're at. We may take somebody who's been in another religion and they have all kinds of confusion about, well, what does the Bible say about this? And what, you, you know, what about this extra, extra stuff that, that my religion tacks on? What do I do with it? You know, one of the most beautiful things about going to, going to Africa and going into these Muslim countries is, you know, they, they say, well, the Quran says... Well, that's, that's pretty good because the Bible says a lot of what the Quran says. But we need to get some saying straight about this guy by the name of Jesus. And it's amazing how many people, when you sit down and you say, Jesus is more than a prophet. He's the Son of God. And you take him to the Bible and you show them from the Word of God how they can know for sure that they can have their sins forgiven. Because that's, the, that's what most people want. Most people are living in such guilt from their life that they want to know, how can I have my sins forgiven? Because they feel terrible. And when you tell them, hey, it's forgiven on the cross, and that's exactly what Peter did. He took them exactly where they were, and then he took them to the cross. He spoke the gospel to them. He said, listen, you know about Jesus of Nazareth. You know that he went around healing the sick. He would raise the dead. He cast out demons. But let me tell you something that you need to know about Jesus. When he died on the cross, he paid the penalty for your sin. He brought you forgiveness. That's exactly what he says in his, his, his sermon here. He said, you need to understand you can have forgiveness because of the cross. And so as he preaches the gospel to them, he says, listen, not only did Jesus die on the cross, but we are witnesses that he was resurrected. The tomb is empty. And why is that important? Because if he's not resurrected, what's going to happen with us? And he says, Jesus was resurrected and he's now on the right hand of the Father. And he's there so that we can have eternal life. And only through Jesus does it happen. And as he preaches the gospel, and I love this part, he's interrupted by the Holy Spirit. He gets the gospel out and, and, and the Holy Spirit comes down and says, all right, Peter, I got this. I've got this. You've explained the gospel to them. And the Holy Spirit sweeps in and the Holy Spirit fell on the Gentiles. What? They're Gentiles. They're not Jewish people. How can they know a Messiah? They're not Jewish. And God said, listen, I died for the whole world. There's, a, there's this little verse that most of us know. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever should believe in him would not perish, but will have everlasting life. John 3, 16. He says it's simple. 
And the Holy Spirit came in and it fell on them. And the amazing thing about that, it fell on them exactly like it fell on the day of Pentecost. Did you notice that? It was sudden. Peter's preaching and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit shows up. It says they spoke in tongues. And that word is languages. It wasn't yabba dabba doo. It wasn't some other mumbo jumbo. It was languages because what did it do? They exalted God. And if you go back to Acts chapter 2, what does it say? It says they spoke in languages and many people heard and they spoke the mighty works of God. It wasn't just some magic in the air. They spoke and it came just like it did in chapter 2 of Acts. And people, the people who were standing around were amazed. And these men who had followed these Jewish believers that had come from Joppa to Caesarea were looking around like going, wow, that's just like what happened at Pentecost. What in the world's going on here? These are all Gentiles. And the Holy Spirit says, oh, wait a second. They're not Gentiles anymore. They're saved by grace. They're the bride of Christ. They're the church. And they're invited in. And I think that was, at that point, Peter says, all right, it's baptism time. And he says, listen, you've been baptized by the Holy Spirit. We're going to baptize you with water. And he goes out finds a swimming pool or a river or whatever they could find. Maybe they walked out into the sea. I mean, they're in Caesarea, right? They're right there by the Mediterranean Sea. They walk out in, out in the sea. It kind of reminds me of the Jesus Resolution film where they go to Pirate's Cove and, and, and they're, they're baptizing people. Man, they were coming out. And, and here's Cornelius. He's, I'm number one. I want to go first. And he walks out and and Peter baptizes him, this big old Roman soldier. And here's little Peter baptizing this Roman soldier in the water. And he comes up shouting hallelujah. And his soldiers, his hundred soldiers are, are lining, lining the, the seaport there. They're watching as Peter comes, or as, as uh, Cornelius comes up. And, and they're like going, I'm next. If it's good enough for the boss, it's good enough for me. I would follow him through the gates of hell. I'm going to follow him through the waters of baptism. And Peter's baptizing as fast as he can. Maybe he got his other guys involved too because they got a lot of people. They got all of his household to baptize. They got all of his family to baptize. They're having a good time just baptizing people because people are saying, I want people to know that I no longer just believe in Yahweh but I now believe in the Messiah, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who comes and take away the sin of the world. That's what they did. Well, that causes a problem. Because there's people back in Jerusalem. Lucy, you got some splaining to do. What are you doing baptizing Gentiles into the kingdom of God? In Acts chapter 11, they've got to go back and face the music. 
In Acts 11, 1 through 4, now the apostles and the brethren who were throughout Judea heard the Gentiles had received the word of God. And when Peter came up to Jerusalem, those who were circumcised took issue with him, saying, you went to uncircumcised men and you ate with them? Oops, wrong question. But Peter began speaking and proceeded to explain to them the orderly sequence and went on. And I'm not going to read that portion because all it is is a repeat of what had just happened in the last chapter. You see, they had a problem. You ate a ham sandwich with a, with a Gentile? They didn't... What? You baptized them? The Holy Spirit came and, and fell on them? They, spoke, they didn't have a problem with that. They had a problem with the fact that they ate a ham sandwich with a Gentile. They're asking the wrong problem. You see, the religious people got offended, but they got offended for the wrong thing. How dare you go and take the gospel to, to the Gentiles? That doesn't happen today, though, does it? When I was a young preacher up in Tualatin, I was assistant pastor at a church, and I had two of my professors, a husband and wife, that lived in Ketchum, Idaho. They called me up and they said, hey, we got your name from the school that you would live out here, and we would like to see if you would come and start a church for us here in Ketchum, Sun Valley. And I'm like, well, okay, let's talk about it. I, we, we had some talk on the phone, and then I flew out to uh, catch them and, and uh, talked with them. They had several families that said they were ready to start a church, and so I prayed about it, and, and my wife and I and two little babies packed everything we had into a U-Haul, and we drove to Ketchum, Idaho. And I did the thing that I knew how to do because it worked every place else I'd ever been. I started knocking on doors. Hi, I'm Pastor Ben. I'm pastoring this new church. We're meeting at the Ramada Inn. Uh, would you consider coming? And every once in a while there'd be people that were like, well, well, why do we need a new church? Well, it's not that we necessarily need a new church, but, but do you know who Jesus Christ is? Um, no. Well, let me tell you about him. And the people that were coming to Christ, I mean, I'm 20, I'm mid-20s, I'm a young, young man, and, uh, and the people that are attracted to me uh, to share the gospel with are the ski bums and the cooks and the, uh, and, and the folks that are there for, for the recreation. And they're all of these young people, my age, and, and they're coming to Christ. And... and the, our church grows to the point that we need to uh, we need to look for some place that we can do Wednesday night meetings because we're meeting at the Ramada Inn during on Sundays, but during the midweek. And so we had been uh, graciously given an apartment to live in by by the folks that had called us there until June. And so I went house hunting and I found this house just outside of Ketchum 
that had a big living room where we could, we could have 20, 30 people there on, on a midweek and be able to do small groups at the house. And so I went, went to these folks and I said, hey, we need to start taking a housing allowance. Up to this point, I hadn't even taken a salary. We had lived off what our savings were. And they looked at us and because and, they controlled the, controlled the finances because one thing I fully believe, a pastor has no business having his hands in the finances. Somebody else needs to run that. So I, did ha- I didn't have any idea who was giving what, how much people were giving. Uh, all I knew is that every month they would, they would show me what was in the bank so we knew if we could buy you know, stuff for the church. And they looked at me and they said, you're reaching the wrong kind of people. We called you here to reach families so that we could have people to fellowship with and so we're not going to approve your housing allowance. Because you're reaching the wrong kind of people. These, these young people, they don't have any roots here in our community. They haven't, they're, they're new Christians. They don't know how to give. So, no. We actually had a mediation with the, with the group that we were forming the church under. And they says, well, you can do one of two things. You can either kick these two families that are running the finances out of your church or you can leave. So my wife and I packed up our two little kids. My brother drove a trailer all the way from Lebanon, Oregon and packed up my whole household and moved us back here to Oregon because we were reaching the wrong kind of people. I got news for you people. There is no wrong kind of people when it comes to Jesus. We're going to reach who God puts in our way. We're going to reach the alcoholic, the drug addict, the homeless person, whoever it is, doesn't matter. They don't have to fit our description of what some people think that God needs to save. God's going to save the ones that that are seekers, the people who are ready for God to invest in their life and say, and and we don't change them, we let God change them. And God will. So quit being offended. When God says, hey, let's go, let's go do this other thing. We need to be ready to go out and preach the gospel where God sends us to. And that's what he was doing with Peter. And Peter explains to the, to the people who said, oh, wait a second, you had a ham sandwich with a Roman soldier. What are you doing? And Peter explains to them how the Holy Spirit came just as he did, and he had backup from the people who were there to say, listen, guys, it's exactly how it happened on the day of Pentecost, and I love what Peter says at the end of that particular section. Look at verses 16 to 18. And I remembered the word of the Lord, 
how he used to say, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Therefore, if God gave them the same gift as he gave to us also after believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? And when they heard this, they quieted down and glorified God, saying, Well then, God has granted to the Gentiles also the repentance that leads to life. Sometimes I just need to get out of God's way. I just need to say, listen, God, send me wherever you want and let me get out of the way of what you're going to do. And I don't know where God's going to send you. He may send you to your next door neighbor. He may send you to the barista down at the coffee shop. He, can, he may send you to the person that, that you least expect it. And God's going to say, all right, now get out of the way and let me work. You speak the gospel clearly, and I will work. And that's exactly what we need to let God do. And let God do the changing. Let God do the speaking. Let God do the things that he does. Get out of his way and let him work because that's what he wants to do.